Hello and welcome to the Ann and Ellis podcast, a podcast specifically designed for you, the wedding and event industry entrepreneur. Look, no one ever claimed the wedding and event industry is easy. In fact, we believe that this industry is one of the most difficult industries in the world, but it does not have to be a journey you embark on alone. That is where we come in. We are your advocates, friends, strategic partners that will challenge you to become the best version of yourself, both personally and professionally. We are unapologetically passionate and thrive on helping others achieve a level of unimaginable success, happiness, and inner peace. Welcome to the Ananalis Podcast, and let's get started. Here we go. The Ann and Ellis podcast with my friend, ally, advocate, one of the most badass women I know, and I am truly lucky enough to call a friend. I mean that. Vanessa McDonald in the house. Thank you for being on. Thank you. This was a, this was a short turnaround. I, I love it. That that's how that's how we roll. You know, um, I had put a post up on Facebook. Um, I don't know, four days ago, maybe, not thinking too much of it. I was celebrating two years sober, and I didn't put it up for ego or praise or celebratory statements. Um, it, it, It wasn't a look at me type post. And I felt it was important to put that in there because I wanted that to serve a purpose in a sense that maybe just maybe there was one person literally one person that was like well hmm riley owns a business um he knows a lot of people he's been out in the scene for a while moving and grooving um he leads a team and that's pretty damn vulnerable to put that out there if he does it Maybe it's time for me to look in the mirror and finally come to my senses and self-realization and self-awareness to say, well, I've been struggling with alcohol for a very long time and I was looking for a sign and maybe this post is the sign that I need because that's what I was looking for. When I was going through my uh, struggle on quitting alcohol and getting sober, I was looking for signs quite often. And I would get signs a lot and sometimes I would ignore ignore them and other times they would sink in real deeply and resonate for a while. And um, I, I'm amazed at the response that that got. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with the individual. I'm happy with the response in a sense of, of those that have reached out privately saying, I would love to have a call with you. Love to have a Zoom chat. Um, some are really open about it and, and where they're at up to this point. Others a little bit more closed off. Like, hey, I just, I just want to talk with you, man. I just want to talk. Cool. I'll, I'll clear my schedule and, 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 and do that. So you had commented on that post talking about um, your journey, um, sobriety, and a book that's coming out, which we're going to talk about for sure. I want to go deep on this podcast because as I, as I was talking with you about the individuals that tend to listen to this podcast. We started off talking to uh, engaged couples, and then we started to look at who was listening, who was watching. It was a lot of business owners, a lot of fellow wedding professionals, caterers, photographers, cinematographers, venue owners, list goes on and on and on. 
okay, well, let's maybe pivot and let's talk more business. Let's talk about real life. Let's talk about parenting. Let's talk about running a business on weekends with kids and staying present and finding inner peace within your life and distractions and all of these things. And so we took that ball, we ran with it, and that's where we're at today. And I was talking with Megan on our last podcast about having you on, and I think it's so important in, in, in the world that we live in today, specifically with social media being the catalyst for, for ideas and businesses and thoughts and perception and materialism. I mean, there's an ugly side and there's a beautiful side to social media that I want to get down to the nitty gritty of, of, of real life struggle that people have, whether it's marriage, sobriety, drug abuse, um, not being present with their kids, taking on too much, uh, being too financially motivated. The list goes on and on and on. So that, that's our personal journey throughout this podcast. And, and, and hopefully it will resonate. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But for those that want to listen, we'll attract a natural audience. And I met you, um, I would say right around 2018, through some mutual friends, through some networking groups. Uh, some networking groups are much better than others, as you know. And you were somebody, Vanessa, from the outside looking in, you, oh, and I mean this wholeheartedly, you were um, somebody that, that everybody said, you've got to meet Vanessa. Like, she's so well connected. Uh, you, you've got to meet her. You've got to meet her. So I was intimidated. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce myself. And hey, I'm Riley. And typically at those networking events, I was providing like the sound, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Microphone, the music, all of these things. And so... I feel like it was a very genuine connection of of us always staying in touch and really being an advocate for one another and just, you know, every time we saw each other, it was just a very positive vibe. I just, I really, uh, really love you as a person and what you stand for and the things that you're doing personally, professionally, all of those things. So when you commented, you had been mentioned about a book and we're going to get into that on a much deeper level here later on. But you had mentioned you were sober for 40, how many months? 41. 40, 41 months? Okay. I'm like, wow, I had no idea. It's amazing how many people are walking around sober you don't even know. you know. And some people, maybe they keep it close to the vest. Others are a little bit more outward about it. And you had made mention about this book and sent a link to it. And I was taking a look at it. I'm like, holy crap. This is amazing. A couple of days later, connected. Let's get on the podcast. And boom, here we are. So I'm so thankful to have you here. And... We can go as deep as you would like. We can be here for an hour. We can be here for three days as far as I'm concerned because I've been looking forward to this conversation ever since we we set it on the calendar in a very, again, quick turnaround. Um, jumping right in, what was day one of sobriety like? What 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 was the turning point? Like how, how when did it start? What was the catalyst where, where change needed to happen? Yeah, no. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Of course. Um, I completely agree. Ever since I've met you, you're one of the most genuine people I've ever met and one of the most generous. Thank you. Very generous and follow through. You follow through every time. And um, I, when I saw your post, I was elated. I was so happy for you because I know that it's not easy and I know what gifts and experiences you've probably have had in the mm. last two years and so I mean I just couldn't wait to talk to you and um so thanks for having me of on of course 
Absolutely. And um, yeah, I would say for me, um, especially living in Iowa, you know, alcohol is just part of our lives, <laughs> right? It's just part of our DNA, literally, um, internally and externally. And I think, you know, growing up a McDonald, I grew up with family members that drank and had a good time. And, and I was just another one of them. I was nothing different or special. It was, I was just doing what we do. And uh, I went to college and I would say I drank like everyone else. Um, and then, you know, in my 20s, I was in consulting. I worked for a big five. It was work hard, play hard. Uh, and I think for many of us, that's what happens. And a lot of times we find ourselves looking at the drink as a reward or a celebration or whatever we want to define it as at that moment. Um, and I never really, I've never understood the term alcoholic. I still don't, and that's okay. But what I do know is that for me, when I started thinking about alcohol more and more and kind of fantasizing about that buzz that I was going to get later that day, and that started accelerating faster and faster beyond what I could control, that's when I said to myself, all right, this, this is different. This is, um, this is not going to end well. At the same time, I didn't know anyone that was sober. I didn't know, I mean, my parents aren't alcoholics. I've taken assessments, I've taken quizzes. Anyone, you know, how many quizzes are, am I an alcoholic? You right. know, you Google it, you take it. Um, and I just, the only thing I could think of was AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. and. I didn't know if I was an alcoholic and of course I'd want to stay anonymous. Like having this big problem with this elixir of life that everyone drinks. And then why do I have the problem? Why can't I do this? And so there were definitely many stages um, to it, to coming to my day one. But for me towards the end, and I was also single at the time when it started accelerating. So I didn't have anyone saying, hey, this is, you need to probably think about this. You, this is not, yeah. this is not acceptable behavior. Um, and so for me, my surrender, if you will, was when I could say, you know what, alcohol is going to win and you're going to lose. I, I think that was something similar that you put in your post. Yeah, absolutely. That you said it wasn't going to end well. Yeah, yeah. And I had a mountain of evidence that showed me alcohol had done nothing for me. And when I look back at all my regrets, whether that be big or little or decisions that might not have been the best, alcohol was always involved in some way, shape, or form. And it wasn't until I got sober that I realized how bad my hangovers were. <laughs> and even to this day, 41 oh, months later of mornings without feeling like crap, 
I'm still so grateful to wake up clear headed, mm. no fog, no headache. You know, of course, I'm still dehydrated because I never drink enough water and I probably never will. <laughs> but it's different. And I think for me in 2019, I did go six months without drinking alcohol. And when I did that, I did it without any help. But then since I did it, it's like, oh, I can do this. I can, I do have control over this. And then it wasn't until nine months later I had my day one. But I do think, and even as a mom, someone who's been pregnant four times, a lot of us say, you know, we didn't drink for, for me, it was 36 months. So I don't, I don't have a problem. I stopped. I was able to stop. And so there are all these stories we tell ourselves about why we wouldn't have a problem or why, because everyone does it, but there was a book called This Naked Mind. And when I listened to that, that was the first time, you know, I didn't really want to understand the science, but in learning it, I am wired differently. Alcohol affects me differently. I crave it in different ways. It impacts me in different ways. People are going to get sick of me nodding my head in agreement, but I can't help but just agree with everything you're saying because as you're saying this, it's a perfect alignment on how I was feeling. So anyways, I just as I'm, go, I'm just noticing myself going <laughs> like this nonstop, I'm like, yeah, preach. Like that's, yes, that is me. Yes. Anyways, sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. <clears throat> and so for, for my day one um, was March 16th, 2020. For me, I always wanted my last drink to be memorable and in a very important place for me. And so that happened to be the Denver airport. Layla and I were on our way back from Palm Springs, California, March 16th, right? We had no idea what we were headed into. I'll never forget um, getting home and thinking to myself, oh gosh, I hope I have a case of wine at home to get me through this next week. And then I thought, oh crap, (laughs) I just had my last drink. (laughs) Yeah. But that's where I was at. And I was listening to a book at the time called We Are the Luckiest by Laura McCowan. To this day, I have no idea how that book popped up in my feed. I never will. But I, when I listened to that, I was like, if I'm going to get and stay sober, I need Laura in my life. And me being me, look her up on LinkedIn. Do we have any mutual connections? But lucky for me, at, the, at that same time, her book tour was canceled. And so she took these sober meetings online. So for me, I never had to go to AA. Going to AA for some reason scared me. It, it Just the seedlings that I had planted in my head for so long, it wasn't going to be a welcoming place. And it was a place where I would have to admit that I had a problem. And I still don't I didn't know if I had a problem. Maybe I could control this. And I think so many of us moderate and spend years moderating. And what I've learned, too, is that's more exhausting than just not drinking. Man, you are, you are so right. You know, I, I don't want to interrupt your story, but I do need to say this. I, <clears throat> I think starting in 2016, 
I love to work out. I love to eat healthy. I, I love, like, that's who I am. Intermittent fasting. I love challenging my metabolism and, and being disciplined, mind, body, spirit. Like, that is who I am. So what I would do as I made, like, a deal with myself, uh, January 1st, as cliche as it sounds, I would go six months. And I would usually make it June. Sometimes I, there was uh, 2017, 2018. I went to July, August. So six, seven, eight months, I would go, quote, sober. And didn't think about it. Light switch was shut off. Didn't matter. The downside of that is June, July, August hits. And now you're making up for lost time. And so I regret that decision. I, I, I don't think that was helpful to me. Does it show you have some power, willpower of saying, I went six, seven months, look at me. Now I'm going to have five beers at dinner. You know, instead of two, I'm going to have five. because I went six months without it. Who cares? So it would almost amplify the remaining 50% of that year. That was just me personally. Oh, I feel that. I would totally have done that too. Yeah. Yeah, because you deserved it. Exactly. Because you accomplished your goal. Yeah. Get two cupcakes after dinner versus one. Right. You know, you were good last week. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all, all the mind games. But I want to go back to something, too, um, when you kick this off. We all have our things. We all do. We all have a thing or things. Multiple, most of us have multiple things. I know I do. But alcohol being one of them and not knowing anyone that was sober in my life, but yet intrinsically somewhere I knew I had, I had to stop. And so when Laura created these meetings online, and it was, I started hearing my story and these other people's shares. And I started relating to these people and, oh wait, they had a problem with that too. And it is so much of just things you don't want to deal with, too. I mean, it, there's a million reasons why people grab a drink, right? But what I didn't realize, too, is once you stop drinking and you start to feel all the feels all the time, that's an adventure. Yeah. But you also can't control what you haven't dealt with either. And so... For me, I needed an anchor in that community to help me through that time because that time all of a sudden, that time started getting really funky for me. And I just realized this just the other month that as a mom of four, you know, I'm always taking pictures, always yeah. of random things. I think I have like 90,000 pictures. My kids always <laughs> my make wife fun too, of me. Yeah. But I look back at my phone from March 16th to March 23rd, 2020. Because I was curious, what did my first week look like? And there are no pictures of anything. Wow. And so I know that for me it was a struggle, but I was just so focused on just having to do it. And so I leaned into those meetings and started connecting. And here I am now. And so for me and a lot of people, there are certain things that they do so they don't drink. And for me, it's very simple. I move my body. I try to five times a week. I go to meetings when I can. And I have a gratitude practice. Those are my three things. And that's what's worked for me. Move, moving your body, I, that's, that's you. And you look fantastic, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
I, it, it, it's interesting. My home office, <clears throat> got a little podcast studio down there. It's where I spend 90% of my time when I'm working from home. When we moved into our house, they had a bar down in the basement and it's still there and it's loaded up with wine. It's, I think, still loaded up with beer from the two years ago. Whiskey and moonshine and all these things. And I was thinking to myself, man, it's crazy that I can work within eight feet of all of this alcohol. And the way that I look at alcohol, and I'll explain why I look at it this way, I look at it almost as like when you first starting, it's like starting dating someone and everything is good. It's like it's everything is good. Everything's sexy and attractive. And man, this this girl is incredible. Wow. I found I found her. This is it. And all of a sudden she cheats on you. And she wants to get back together, right? No, I was fine with just once. No, it's like, no, 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 no. The whole perception of what you mean has changed. You've let me down. You like So I see bottles of whiskey and cans of beer and bottles of beer. And it's like, all I see is somebody who lied to me. And you promised one thing, but it resulted in the other. And And that perception of alcohol is wrapped into the ungodly amount of arguments that my wife and I got into because of my drinking and the lying. You know, I only had four beers when really I had eight. Or I'm not going to drink this week. I go down and get a garage beer, right? It's like, oh, we've got a garage fridge full of beer, and I'm in there. Oh, honey, I'll be right in. You know, down in three beers. Because what you said early on really hit me hard, where you're chasing five o'clock, four o'clock just to get home. And like, like, I can't wait to get that buzz. Like I'm, I'm chasing that. It's not normal, right? It's like so many people that I know that can drink in moderation. I, I don't know what the hell that is like doing anything in moderation is hard for me, but drinking in moderation, like, wait a second. Okay. So you can, you're meaning to tell me that you can go out to eat, have two beers on a Saturday night and go home have a glass of water, brush teeth, and go to bed. Didn't, didn't, what? Like, if I'm having two beers, I'm stopping at Casey's on my way home, getting a 12-pack, and all of those beers may be gone before I go to bed. That's how I roll. How on earth can you just drink two and not think about it again, or drink two and go to the gym, and then go to your kid's soccer game in the morning, and not always be thinking about, okay, when this soccer game is over, I can do this, 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 and then I'm ready for my, my, my garage beers, or I'm going to go downstairs and listen to music and drink beers. So, I understand what you're saying wholeheartedly, but the, the the having meetings and having that connection to other individuals is something that I should probably do more of because this has been a journey that has been, I've been surrounded by people with a lot of love and compassion and understanding and some that aren't necessarily, they, they didn't necessarily get sober, they just weren't really drinkers to begin with. And to have those kind, like my business partner, Megan, she's not a drinker really at all. She might have a half of a white claw and then it sits there. Melissa, my wife, she might have a white claw every month or a beer. And like, I'm good. It's kind of warm now. I'm good. And I'm looking, who are, like, how, how are you programmed that way? And I'm programmed this way. The last thing I'll say is I was watching The Sopranos about a year and a half ago. I started on the series, started from the beginning, worked my way all the way to the end, became obsessed with that show. And what hit me kind of hard Again, this is just my ego talking. It's Tony Soprano's about ready to go do a business deal, and his his right hand man was like, "Tony, you know he's an alcoholic, right?" And Tony said something along the lines, "You mean he's weak?" 
Oh, he's, he's weak. He's weak as a man. Oh, okay. He's got it. Okay. And it hit me and it's like, man, does having a drinking problem mean you're weak, weak minded? How am I not able to get control of this? Am I ready to admit defeat or is this something that I can overcome? And and I can drink in moderation. Maybe I'm not, maybe I don't have a problem. I'm just weak. I'm weak minded. I just need to only drink two or three. But no matter what you tell yourself, you're programmed a certain way and you're programmed a certain way. So I was, you know, early on when I was getting sober, I was kind of hesitant to tell people because I didn't want them to look at me as weak or having these huge issues in my life. But I knew when it was starting to affect not only my marriage, but what hit me like a ton of bricks. And it's a feeling I will never, ever forget. And it's something that I'll, I'll have to live with is my kids getting old enough to make comments. Daddy, how many beers are you going to have? Daddy, you drink a lot. Daddy, you're having another beer? It's, uh, it's something that I, I can't even explain how that awakened me to a point where it's like, what am I going to do here? Where is this going? Where is this going to end? Is my life going to become better or worse? What are their lives going to be like? Because my kids are just like me, especially Asher, my son. And that scares the living shit out of me. It's one of my biggest fears is my son is just like me. And so if I can at least make an effort, just make an effort to say, buddy, daddy doesn't drink. He's eight years old and I tell him, daddy had a problem with alcohol. You may not know exactly what that means right now, but daddy had to give it up. And I want to be the best version of myself for you. And so he's starting to understand, and, and my daughter Isla as well. But when they start noticing, that's when everything shifted for me. Boom. Nope. Got to be done. Because I just envisioned losing them and losing my wife. And here I am by myself drinking, and they're off living life. And that was something that, that was the trigger and turning point for me. Yeah, that, that's, that's big, right? Yeah. You said you were looking for signs and... Universe yeah. definitely gave you that sign. And um, I think, so when you, you say the kids, so I'll never, for my, I never heard my kids say anything to me, but I remember we were watching a movie and I was about eight months sober and we were watching a movie and Jim Carrey was in it and he was extremely intoxicated. And one of the kids, I don't know which one, said, hey mom, have you ever been drunk? And I just took a huge inhale, and I'm like, oh, gosh, where is this going to go? Like, where are we going right now? And it was silent. And then all of a sudden, Layla, my only daughter, says, well, yeah, mom used to drink. She doesn't drink anymore, but, yeah, she probably used to get drunk. My voice of reason. And that was that. Yeah. So, but one of the things that I initially heard in a meeting that I went to, one of the very first ones, because I truly believe you hear what you need to hear in these meetings at the right time. I'll never forget someone describing their parents. And they said, you know, my mom drank every night, but she wouldn't get funnier or she wouldn't get meaner. She would just change. Yeah. And I heard my kids. Mm -hmm. I heard my kids saying that 30 years from now. Yep. And that struck me to my core where that, I just didn't want that and that they deserve better because like you said, we, your son is wired like you. And that's like 
my kids. I mean, they're all very similar. They're, and what I can do is, you know, talk the talk, but walk the walk and do the things I can control. And I can control not drinking. And that, to me, that one inaction allows me to be the parent that I strive to be and to be the colleague that I want to be and the daughter that I want to be and the sister I want to be and the friend I want to be intentionally. Yeah. Not going through it in a foggy way like what I used to do. It used to, I used to, I call it, it was just, I didn't have a clear path. Yeah. And while things went great in some areas and other things weren't so great, I was just, there was a lot of hope in my life. And now, while I definitely do have hope, I'm now in control. Yeah. I feel like I'm in control yep. of yeah. what happens and what doesn't happen. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it, too, is there was a quote that I heard. It was, sobriety gives you everything alcohol promised. And there, there's been many... Because I, I think when, when, when you are either struggling with sobriety or you're going through sobriety, you're just looking for advice and, again, signs and wisdom and other individuals that have gone through it. So you see a lot of quotes and a lot of sayings and things like that. That one just always hit me because I'm like, wow, why was I drinking as much as I was drinking? I was drinking more or less to escape, not escape a life I didn't love or a marriage that I didn't want to be in or escape being a parent. It wasn't, I wasn't miserable in any of those aspects. For me, again, you said it, so I've been nodding my head a million times because, again, same wavelength, is that growing up in a small town in Iowa, Hawkeye football, all of these things where it's so not only socially accepted, it's, it's almost like a religious thing you're a part of, right? And you're almost looked at so differently when you're not. And growing up and even in high school, drinking, going to parties and through the college years and all of it's just what you did. And then as you start to get older, you start to realize, oh, I'm on a whole, whole new level than anybody else around me. Eh, it'll, it'll be fine. Everything's going to be fine. But with, I would always use that slide I put in that Facebook post is I always had a million excuses. Oh, I've had a really crazy weekend full of weddings. And these clients were kind of difficult. Oh, my Sunday is my, my Sunday fun day. I'm going to decompress. I'm going to unwind. It was just excuse after excuse because I didn't want to get down to the nitty gritty of why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. And, and you can only fake the funk too long or for so long before the ones that care about you most start to pick up on things. I remember, I'll never, last thing I'll say is that I remember going to a, to a concert as Melissa and I went to a family member's house because she lived in the same city where the concert was taking place. So we spent the night there and we were pre-gaming, you know, again, Melissa's version of pre-gaming is she has one or two beers and it's like, I'm good, I'm good. And here I am like, more, more, now I need another beer before we go. I'm going to drink more at the concert. And this family member made a comment to my mom saying, wow, Riley can really drink a lot. And that got back to me. And my selfish, idiotic, egotistical self, I was, how dare she? She doesn't, the hell are you, just because you don't drink, oh, so you're just going to sit around and judge other people? I was so upset. Dust settled, smoke cleared, a few weeks went by. I'm like, no, <laughs> she was right. <laughs> I am. And, and I'm sure more people are talking about my 
behavior behind my back. She was just somebody that loved and cared about me enough to say something to somebody else who loved and cared about me just as much to make a comment. And that really put me in a position to start thinking about self-awareness, right? social awareness. How am I being perceived by a team? Um, if I'm running an organization, if I'm going to all these uh, business functions or whatever and I'm, I'm drinking more than anybody else on our team or family gatherings and I'm the guy that's downing 12 beers while everybody else is on their second or third, like how am I going to be perceived not just as a professional but as a human being, as a father, as a husband? So that, that perception was something that really became important to me as well. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it was a badge of honor for me. I, I could drink. I could have fun. I could party. I was the the former mommy wine club president, the former neighborhood, you know, let's get wasted drunk every night CEO. <laughs> I mean, that that is what I did. And I was proud of it most of the time. Um, and I think, you know, as we become parents, we don't want to lose ourselves yeah. either. We don't want to just become a mom. We're still who we are. And so that is one way that I did it. Not a smart way, but one way I did it. And and I think, too, um, the other thing you said about um, just being, oh, so how your wife is wired, right? She yeah. can have one or two and be fine. That is crazy for us. There are normies out there. So not everyone who drinks has a problem, for sure. Like, I've never, totally, <laughs> never right, said right, that. Yeah, no, for sure. And people make their own decisions. And that's what I tell my kids now, right? Everyone is responsible for their own decisions. Because even my youngest is eight now. And I would say he is definitely having a parent that doesn't drink alcohol makes them naturally more aware of alcohol in our surroundings. Totally. Yep. And so he asks a lot of questions. Mom, why do we sing in heaven there is no beer after Iowa games? Mom, why are there Bud Light signs everywhere we go? They're legit questions to be asking. Mom, why do they call it spirits and not alcohol? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. I mean, and there have been times where, like, you know, it's okay if people choose to drink, honey. That's their decision. We, no, it's not us to judge. Yep. But I do think there is or has been such shame and negative stigma around the perception of drinking, right? And being labeled as this or that and being weak and not being able to control a substance. Well, guess what? We were addicted to an addictive drug. Yeah, yeah. Go figure. G good job, big marketing. Good job, <laughs> yeah. society. Like, well done. Yes. <laughs> like You got me. Right. And that's okay. What's not okay is pretending that problem's not there. Yeah. And I think that... For me, I just always tell myself to just stay in my lane and try and control what I can control. And I think that and being and doing all the things in Iowa that we do, 
just without drinking. Yeah. And being able to show the kids that you can still live this happy, full life and you do it with sparkling water, or in my case, a lot of energy drinks. I was going to say, my caffeine intake has gone up quite a bit. Yeah. Do you drink anything non-alcoholic, like non-alcoholic beer, non-alcoholic? Yeah. yeah, so I do like non-alcoholic beer. I'll give a, a shout out to the Untitled Art Orange Wit that they okay. have at Field Day right now. Okay, That's a great non-alcoholic option for me right now. But yeah, I do drink non-alcoholic beer and drinks. Um, I know that people that don't drink are, I feel like it's kind of 50-50. People yeah. are like, either if they have it, they're going to want to go have the real thing and it could be a trigger or for those i i never really drank beer when i drank alcohol so it's kind of the perfect yep substitute for me mm-hmm. um but even in places where you don't always want to feel different and you don't always want to talk about it yes because people love to talk about it too and so you don't and so it's easier to just throw something else in that glass where people aren't questioning what For you're sure. drinking. For sure. Even though it is something I'm very proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's not something that I want to talk about all the time. Yeah, you know, I, I remember uh, when I first got into non-alcoholic beer, near beer, whatever. They, growing up, it was Bush N.A., and it was labeled N.A. It's like, hi, I'm an alcoholic. Look at me. It was very in your face. And I remember always thinking to myself, like, Bush N.A., like, what the hell is the point of that? Like, I don't get it. It's for those with drinking problems. Oh, okay, cool. And then as you get sober, you start to – so, like, for my for my two years of sobriety, my mom got me a 12-pack of Bud Zero. She's like, I saw one get these. And I'm like, cool. And you would think – Oh, good. It tastes like beer. So I'm going to have all 12. I'm going to go to the store and get, I'll have two or three, maybe. And like, I'm good. And, but it is, it is the perfect, and I love when breweries have non-alcoholic stuff or when restaurants have non-alcoholic stuff. And there's some incredible NA stuff. Athletic brewing is fantastic. Um, it's not Billion the cheap, dollar company. Yeah. I and mean, it's not the cheapest stuff in the world, but it's incredible. Their IPAs and stuff. It's incredible how far NA stuff is coming along. And five, 10 years ago, you would never see it. You would never see it in grocery stores, and you would see Bush N.A. on a beer menu at pretty any pretty much any restaurant you go to. Now, you go to breweries, and they offer non-alcoholic stuff. You go to, there's more dry bars that are opening up. Um, I haven't been to many, but there's one in Iowa City, Unimpaired, I think, um, which I think is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The quality of that stuff is great, um, but to give individuals that don't drink an option to not fit in, that's not what I'm saying, but to just... Feel like you're in the midst of conversation and, and and not have to be not to have this elephant in the room of like there's Riley drinking Diet Coke when all of us are cheers in for the seventh time the touchdown. It's like you can be a little bit more involved and not get into a conversation about your sobriety when you don't feel like it. You know? Oh, completely. And I've had a couple conversations with people where it's very interesting where they are. A normie, we'll say. A normie being someone yeah. that can have two drinks. One that I'm very jealous of. Must be nice. <laughs> exactly. It it definitely, I can't wrap my head around it, but they exist. And But where they just want to totally cut alcohol out of their life, but they are in networking situations yeah. all the time. And they're 
professional life somewhat depends on these connections and relationships. And so they don't want to be perceived as someone that has a drinking problem. And mm. so they don't know how to say, oh, I'm just not drinking. Oh, but I don't have a problem. Yeah. I just choose to not put this deadly cancer-causing toxin in my body, right? Yep. So there's this other, it's an, they're interesting conversations, and I think it, it should challenge us all, I mean, to think at that higher level of, you know, just don't judge. For sure. Like, no one knows what's going on. And I always say, like, in every relationship, no one knows a relationship unless you're in it. And that goes with your relationship with alcohol. No one knows what that looks like except for you. Right. And, 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 and like you said, you may not be addicted to alcohol. You may be judging somebody who's sober, but you might have a porn addiction. You might have a sugar addiction. You might be a really crappy husband or wife because you're a narcissist. I mean, it's like all of us are dealing with something. We're all on our own journey trying to figure out this thing called life. We're all trying to figure this stuff out. And I, I, I remember going, because I would go six months off, six months on, a lot of my friends and family knew that I was doing that. And a lot of them were like, so you're drinking now? So you're not drinking? Like there was just a lot of confusion. And it was a way for me to just kind of, doing that was ultimately it was just a way to camouflage. Like I have I have a problem and to just say like I go six months on, six months off is just kind of like a, just a popular excuse that other people do sober January or was it sober October or things like that, where it was just a little more socially acceptable than saying, yeah, I'm trying this out because I think I might have a problem. You know, it was just, it was just a way to avoid that conversation. For sure. And, and what's happened to society where we can't just say we don't want to drink Yeah. and that be a full state statement or you just say, I'm not drinking today yeah. and people don't question it. And I think it is because it is just so much of the norm and it is just different and it is challenging the status quo. And I, I really commend people that define their own journey, kind yeah. of like exactly what you have done. Right. So I don't know anyone who's done the six months off, six months off. So that's extremely creative. And I that's that's new. But I completely get that mentality of obviously I don't have a problem if I can go six months without right. it. Right. So I am good. But thanks for your concern. Yeah. Stand back. I'm good. But at the same time, when you're doubly rewarding yourself, the, the latter six months, that's all you go all out. And I think that there are so many things like that in life. Like you said, whether alcohol is just one thing that I mean, there are so many other addictions that people have or even social media. Totally. I mean, there are times when I'm on my phone way too much and I have to check myself. I mean, I, I am wired a different way when I'm all in, I'm all in. Amen. Amen. And <laughs> I really hope, you know, I'm trying to project all those decisions into really good ones um, and listening to the right, the right podcasts and doing all the things. But at the same time, 
kind of going back to the reason why you posted and why we connected, right? Yeah. So kind of looping this back around. I didn't go public until my three year. So my first year, I thought I would. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to be judged. My two year, I thought I would. I, w- I still wasn't ready. And I actually started working on the book before I went public because that's how I do things. Sure. I never do things in order. <laughs> Why? It's overrated anyways. Right? <laughs> and I think that, and that's okay, but so many people suffer in silence and they don't want to be judged and it sucks to be judged. And I know as well as you know, people do change and they can change by the decisions that they start making, yep, right? Absolutely. Everything is based in micro decisions and we make a million a day and it's on us. And when I was drinking, I wasn't intentional. It was it was a very just more laissez-faire kind of life. And now, yes, I definitely put more pressure on myself and I have goals that I never thought that I would have. But at the same time, I'm enabling myself to be able to accomplish them by taking that one thing out. Sure. And I think when people are contemplating, oh my God, where do I get started? There's no way in hell I'm calling into a sober community Zoom call. Yeah. Like, no, I yeah. don't, I'm not doing that. Don't do it. And I tell people just don't drink. And we were talking about this a little bit before, is so many times we're told over and over, you have to believe it, then do it. You believe you can do it, then do it. For me, that is not how it worked with my drinking. To this day, I say the universe conspired, thank goodness, on March 16, 2020, for me to be done. But I... But in just knowing that that, that's the day that I was done and then putting the community in my my path. But there are many times, every single day, every single day, where I can't believe I'm not drinking. That I can go to a restaurant opening and not drink. Or I can go tailgate and not drink. Or I can do, you know, as go to a yoga class and not have the wine that everyone's having. So that's, that's a huge message that I really want to share with people is that you, it is something that's really hard to believe that you can do all these things without alcohol, but you can, it's that inaction of just not picking it up. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Going through, the traditions, whether it's festivals or parades or, you know, 4th of July or Labor Day, Memorial Day, all of the going out in the lake, all of these things that you were always so used to saying, okay, before we do this, let me fill up my Yeti tumbler with three beers and off we go. Let's go tailgate. Let's go do this, where alcohol was always a part of that. You're right, because there was a part of me that it's like, how am I going to enjoy doing these things without alcohol how am i going to enjoy a concert without being buzzed like what who the hell like who would do that or who list goes on and on and on and on i'm here to tell you that you are in those moments and you're not drinking and you are saying to yourself wow this is an incredible feeling not 
needing these things anymore and you can drive home and you can be the accountable one and you can, especially being a parent, you're much more socially aware of the things that are happening and you're just kind of able to pick up on things better. But nothing is ever better or worse as far as the experience just because you're not drinking. And that was a big fear of mine. So you're telling me I'm going to go to a concert and never have four or five beers again. Hmm. I've gone to a countless number of concerts sober. I'm having just as much, if not more, fun. Honestly, I am. The only thing, and I would love to, 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 to get your opinion on this. One thing that has happened to me in a pretty drastic way, actually, is that I've gotten a little bit more socially anxious around a bunch of other people that are drinking. So as an example, we go to a concert. And this is not me trying to be like an elitist, but I'll tell Melissa like, hey, if we're going to go to a concert, if we're going to go to a baseball game, let's get really good seats so we're not in like the bleachers with a bunch of people. Again, not not judging at all that are drinking, having a great, good for you. It's all good. I'm not looking down. I'm, do your thing. I just don't want to be a part of it. And so when we go to concerts and everybody around there hooting, hollering, again, they're really drunk. They're becoming belligerent. I pick up on those things. I'm, I'm really like hyper aware, really hypersensitive to those things. And I start to get really anxious and uncomfortable, not because they're drinking, but because I can see either a fight about ready to break out or a couple that have been getting into an argument. And it's like, man, I don't, I don't belong here. I would, I was, I was able to camouflage myself in those situations because I'd be seven, eight beers deep. And it's like, ah, whatever. I am just enjoy the show. What's what is, but when you're stone sober, you pick up on those things a little bit, or at least I do. So when we go into those situations where there's a lot of people, again, festival, concert, whatever, I like to be just a little bit more detached, if that makes sense. Oh, I completely, completely understand that. And actually, it's it, it does bring me some anxiety when I am in those situations where I'm not controlling the people around me, yeah. right? But one thing that I've realized that after some reflection, especially this summer, is the people that are now in my life and the ones that mean a lot to me and my friends, a lot of them don't drink that much yeah. or at all. And it's been very interesting to watch that slowly evolve over time. Um, but even like, just having that same mindset. They want better for themselves, right? And uh, many of them are normies, and that's great. I'm, I'm probably even, to a certain extent, jealous, right? That so same, they for can sure. have for sure. a couple. Like, that would be amazing. But I can't do that, and I'm never going, God willing, I'm never going to try moderating again because that exhausts me, and nothing good will come from it. And I think, but yeah, for me, it's I always kind of time box it where I do like usually a max of two hours mm. or like I, you know, when people pass that three or four drink stage, that's when I need to exit because I can't. It's really hard for me to listen to people repeat themselves <laughs> and slur their words. I just can't do that anymore. That That's hard for sure. But I don't put myself in those situations. Yeah, I think that's really important, too, is to curate your environment to the best of your ability. And, and I like that, putting a time box on things. That's great. Okay, so let's let's get into this book. I, I could not tell you how happy I was when you left that comment and then the link to what you're working on. I, I want to hear all about that. Let's, let's dive into the book. Yeah, so 
about a year ago, I heard this quote by Rory Vaden. I think he was on an Ed Milet podcast. Okay. And he said, you're, mo- you're most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were. Mm. And at the same time, I attended a writing workshop last summer. And I've read a lot of great Quitlet, a lot of great memoirs that have helped me get to where I am. But at also at the same time, I knew my story wouldn't resonate with everyone. And quite frankly, my kids are too young. They don't need my memoir out right, there. Right. Um, and so, but in writing a book has never been on my to-do list. I've, I have some other wild things on my to-do list, but like writing a book was never one. But it just kept coming up, you know, the signs. And I was at, and so I was thinking about the questions that I wrestled with for so many years. Am I an alcoholic? Am I not? Is it harder to get or stay sober? Like, what am I really going to get out of this? Is it worth it? Um, I just wanted to know what other people had been through. I feel like had I had that information, maybe I would have stopped drinking sooner. Maybe I wouldn't have. But I wanted to create something that would help others. And whenever I would leave these TLC community meetings, I'd be like, gosh, they're so smart. Like, I need to share this with everyone. Because a lot of people in TLC are extremely successful people, attorneys, doctors, lawmakers, teachers, marketing gurus. I mean, you name it. Everyone's in TLC because addiction doesn't discriminate. Right. And I actually think it's easier for professionals to have a problem, but that's a different topic. (laughs) But I, or to enable their problem. Oh, for sure. I should say. There's no question. But I came up with some questions and I reached out to my friends and because it was because of their stories, their shares, their little insights to their life or their experiences that made me feel like I was okay. And in a large part, TLC loved me before I could love myself. And that's been an evolution and a whole other process. But that's what this beautiful community did. So I'm like, how do I share this with other people that might be struggling? People that look like me or don't look like me or or older, younger, do different things, whatever. And so I reached out and I said, hey, if I sent you a question, can you answer it? And it was a resounding, yeah, they were yeses across the board. And so for the last year, I've been working on this book Um, in collecting the responses. And then one of the things that I wanted to do, I want the original title was, wait, I don't have to be an alcoholic to stop drinking. But then I didn't really want the AA mafia to like kill me. Although it would be a good way to go down, I guess. Uh, But some of my AA friends were like, yeah, no, no, that's not the title. So let's (laughs) rework that. And so the the title is the best decision we ever made. I love that title. And I think that it sparks curiosity like it should because when I was drinking, I 
never had a clue that not drinking would be the best decision I ever made. I thought it would be the hardest, which it, it has been at times. But our faces are on the cover of this book. So it's flipping that anonymous word because mm. I think at such a young age, when you think about people with a problem, you think about the basement of the church and people not seeing you go in or leave. And that anonymous word kept me small for a really long time. And small in meaning that I wasn't ready to attack this issue I had. And I think that um, by putting our faces on the cover, we're, we're flipping that story and we're flipping that narrative and saying, hey, this is our thing. I love that. Yeah. It sucks, but hey, we're doing something about it. And not only has it been a journey, but we've been doing it together and it's this connection. And so I'm so blessed to have these people in my life that have allowed me to pull it together and reading through it, the vulnerability on these pages and the, the heart that they've left on these pages is really um, something I'm beyond appreciative well, of. What I love about it being kind of a, a compilation of, of a bunch of people is that for anybody that wants to read this <clears throat> and check it out, you're going to find something that rings true with you. It's not just one person's story because everybody's journey to sobriety is different. There's a lot of similarities, but there's also some vast differences on, on what got them to the point of making that decision. I think that's really important. You know, you made mention about a lot of professionals um, having to enabling their, their issues and, and, and all of those things a little bit easier than most. That is a, a big thing that I see from the people that have approached me is that, it, again, it's individuals that are in a certain position um, with a lot of outside optics about who they want to be perceived as. And if they step out into the light and say, hey, I'm sober, I've got a drinking problem, that they feel it's going to completely alter the way that they are now seen. And so I think the only way to combat that is to see other people in your position or similar position saying, it's okay to admit you have a problem because it is, it's okay. It's okay. Nothing your biggest fears about admitting you have an issue, they're not anywhere close to reality. And even if they were, the empowerment that you give yourself and that you'll end up giving others is worth it tenfold, a hundredfold as far as I'm concerned. And I think you are doing yourself a disservice. And again, everybody's in different places in their life and they're all navigating their own journey. So I'm not trying to be too self-righteous here, but I think you're doing a lot of people and yourself a disservice by not admitting some of these things that you're struggling with because you have no idea the amount of impact and assistance and guidance that you give other people. And that's what I think life is about is we're learning from one another. And while we're learning, we're also gaining a lot of clarity about so many things in our lives that we didn't give a lot of thought to. And you become sober and to your point, you said it several times, the, the, the clear-mindedness and, and waking up not hungover and being able to reflect on the day and your kids growing up and what they're learning in your relationship with your significant other, which is always a work in progress for me, you at least put yourself into the best position possible to evaluate. Camouflaging it and drowning yourself in alcohol, for some people it's really tough. You're, not, you're, you're, you're trying to escape the problem, but in reality you're just more or less solidifying that. 
at least for me. Oh, for sure. Because towards the end, too, I was just addressing the problems that alcohol created. (laughs) Exactly. So now, (laughs) like, now that I don't, I mean, but I will say this. I mean, in sobriety, I'm still very capable of bad decision making. For sure. Right? For sure. It's just more calculated. Yeah, yeah. It's just different. And being able to give my gift, give myself the gift of being able to respond versus react. I used to just react all the time. And now that I, I am more clear minded because your brain literally does change when you remove alcohol. Like this is all science backed. If you're interested in all the science, there's the Huberman podcast. I think it's episode Mm -hmm. 89 that talks about the, the science behind what alcohol really truly does. Um, and when you remove it, your neuro pathways, they change your brain. So when I say I'm not in a fog anymore, I'm literally, my brain is not as Absolutely. foggy as Absolutely. it used to be. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just being able to be honest with my kids and say, I, yes, I drank too much because yeah, it's an addictive substance. And I will say one of the scarier moments I've had recently is when you said, that your son is is a lot like you, is my daughter said when she got home from a trip from Florida, she said that they got ice cream every night. And she goes, Mom, guess what flavor I would get? And I said, what? And she said, I'd get coffee. So then I was like super hyper and just was crazy. And I was like, oh, gosh. That's her receptors mm-hmm. wanting to change how she feels, mm-hmm. right? And she's 11. And I know, I know my kids are going to make their own decisions. I know that. And they're going to live their lives. And they're going to make good ones and they're going to make bad ones like we all do. And But it was just a reminder for me that I need to do this, not only for me, because that's how it all starts. You have to do it for yourself. But then as you're doing it, you realize the impact it's going to have on others. Absolutely. And and that, you know, if genetics is involved, they're not set up for success. And so the only way to set them up is to, you know, nurture nature, nature them. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, so that was one thing. But again, like we've talked about. I'm the last person to judge anyone that drinks, right? Like, I do not care if people drink. That is just fine. What I do know and hope that people experience that do have a problem or drink too much is that other side and what's there and what's available to them by removing the one thing. Well, I I would say if anybody out there, and I know there's several that I know personally that have reached out. So I'm not speaking on your behalf or making assumptions here, but if you are wondering and you're curious, if you have a drinking problem, if you are trying to seek an alternative, if you're trying to just seek some sort of clarity and salvation, you know, there are so many people that are willing to help and put your ego aside. And I promise you everything around you gets better and relationships get better, your days are brighter, you're more energized, regardless of you and taking caffeine or not, like you're, you're, everything just 
gets better. I don't know. A single person said my life has gotten worse by being sober. Well, that you just nailed it. Right. And when I started off on this journey, I remember someone saying, find me a sober person that regrets getting sober. (laughs) So I'm like, wow, there's like 100 percent certainty with this. Like, hmm, maybe there is something there. Yeah. And I've yet to meet anyone. Same. And I also at the same time. Going back to kind of the kid thing is I had fun drinking in my 20s. I mean, I had a lot of great times. I have a lot of great memories, but it's different now. I'm 44. Life, there's phases and chapters of life, and I'm in a different phase and chapter where I expect more for myself because I can't unlearn what I've learned. Yep, yep. There, There's a song that's called As Far As You Could, I'll have to send it to you. It makes me cry like a baby. I cried like the first time I heard it because it's it's about giving up alcohol. And it's basically a story of a musician basically saying, you know, you've taken me as far as you could. I'm sure I'll see you around, but you're you're better on a shelf than, you know, being around me, I guess you could say, or, or, or in me, quite honestly, where where it, it was a part of what is like you, you made my wife, you helped me make my wife laugh and then you helped make my wife cry. You know, it's just like all of the opposites of, of the, the contradictions of certain things. But I'll have to send you that one. It's a really, it's a really powerful one for sure. So when is the book coming out? Where, where can people find it? And I'll put all of this in the show notes as well so people can easily find this yeah. book. And that's one thing I want to say too is how you said that, you know, there are people that are publicly sober that I'm sure are more than willing to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I know that I love talking to people about it and helping people on their journeys Um, but there are so many more online sober communities where if you want to stay anonymous and like you are scared about that perception and you're just, you just want to dip your toe, there are so many options like that. So in the book, there will be a resources page that shows all the different resources that have helped us and all the things that are out there. Um, cause I think at least for what I felt, I was pretty close to going to rehab. I was pretty close to this or that. But because of the access and the easiness of being able to jump on a Zoom call or having an AirPod in when I'm at a kid's game and being and hearing and being able to help myself while I help others, like that's what matters. And so there is just so much support out there um and i really look forward to seeing this grow i mean there are a lot more sober folks in the uk ages 16 to 24 that are not drinking i do think that it's happening more and more here or maybe that's because what my feeds tell me no i think i think there is for sure but i absolutely i think yeah the more non-alcoholic options there are the better. And I think that, um, and I, and I appreciate those companies doing, doing what they're doing. Same. And, and so the book comes out November 16th. It's right around the corner. So I landed on that date because I'm 44 years old and I'll be 44 months sober on that date. And so, um, the book launch will be in Chicago and downtown Chicago on that day. Um, there'll be a lot of the, the group of the 60 there. 
I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and it's called the best decision we ever made.com. You can just go to the website and, um, there's a place where you can put in an email if you want to order it. Uh, but yeah, if it helps 10 people, great. If it helps more than 10, even better. And so I'm, I'm really excited to at least share a little bit of what I've learned through these beautiful humans that have chosen this path in hopes to inspire and encourage people. And that's another thing about the book, that it is program agnostic. I have friends who love AA and who have helped them and gotten them through it. I have other friends that haven't taken that path, and it doesn't matter. And I always say, there's a million ways to your day one, and there's a million ways from your day one. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's up to you. Yeah. And that's and there are so many things out there now where that you can create your own path and do what's best for you. That's great. Well, that's incredible. You are incredible. I, I truly cannot tell you how much love I have for you, how much respect I have for you. I am so thankful to know you and to have continued our friendship and our relationship and I can't tell you how much it means for somebody like you to have commented on something that I put out with as much sincerity and love and compassion that you put into that. I truly thank you. And thank you for being on. This was an incredible conversation. I can't wait to see what this book will do and the community that you're growing. Again, I will put the link to all of that in the show notes. We'll share it, promote it. I'll make sure our crew shares it and promotes it. And I'll buy a bunch of copies and give out copies to individuals that have reached out as, as kind of a gift to them to maybe start their journey so you're the best Vanessa thank you so much thank you Riley all right we'll see you later guys